Well, good morning, BCC. Fantastic to see you. Uh, great to have such a full building. Uh, and also, just want to say a really warm welcome to all of you guys who are online. Uh, two rounds of applause are needed. Let's just give a quick cheer and a round of applause to everyone online. That'd be great. Nice to see you guys. So our ambient mics will pick up your applause and they'll hear all of that. And also, should we just give a quick round of applause to anybody who's new today? We just want to say welcome. It's really nice that you're with us. I know that we had some guests in our first service and I had a chance to meet some of those and I'm, I hope that I'll have the same chance to do that uh, straight after our second service. So we're in part two of our Christmas series, which is called Heaven Sent, Angels, Miracles and Kings. Uh, and last week, uh, Paula did such a fantastic job of starting us off uh, and we looked at the whole area of angels and uh, their significance at Christmas time. And so this week, we're going to be uh, continuing in the second of those uh, messages in the series of three. Uh, in fact, it, it, it goes on to Christmas Day. Technically, it's, it's, four, it's four messages altogether. Uh, but Angels, Miracles and Kings last, last week, this week and next Sunday. And uh, I'm going to be looking at uh, the whole issue of miracles this morning. Now, I wanted to open with a little bit of a story of something that has happened in our church uh, that I think will encourage you, uh, that will lift your faith for the possibility of miracles, because God is in the miracles business. He does miracles. He's somebody who likes to do miracles. They are a signature thing that he does, um, and he does them an awful lot. And when our eyes are opened to what God is doing with miracles, they can be quite stunning things. So um, I don't know if you remember back in the summer, we did a series called Jesus Encounters, didn't we? And uh, I found when we heard the news about Pastor Mark moving on, uh, kind of in June time, I found myself praying one morning and asking God, what is the series that we should develop and deliver uh, to give us a kind of consistency and something for people to get their teeth into over that summer period, like July, August time. Uh, And as I was praying, I felt the Lord say, no, bring a series all about the encounters of Jesus with either individuals or groups of people from the Gospels and look at what their reactions are. What what did that mean for those people? Uh, what What did it mean back then? And what does it mean now for us? And so this idea got birthed about a Jesus Encounter series, and uh, it felt like the right thing, and the Holy Spirit was prompting me, and it's like, right, let's do this. I got with the team, and we laid out a plan. And if, in fact, I think I sent the team something like 38 different Jesus Encounters titles from them, for them to pick from, and we all picked different messages that we were going to bring. And one of the messages that I brought in that series was on the 8th of August. Uh, and it was uh, a message about Zacchaeus, funnily enough. It's interesting to hear Ellie mentioning Zacchaeus in her prophetic words that she had for her family this morning, because I felt it was good to bring a message about Zacchaeus. And you might have remembered that message. Uh, the core of idea behind that message, message was a chat, a choice, a change. Uh, and, we, and we kind of went through the, the journey of Zacchaeus and his encounter with Jesus and what that was like. So that happened on the 8th of August. Okay, so that's all kind of going along in the life of the, you know, the pastor's mind and the church and the sequence and so on. Entirely separately to that, in the east side of our city, over in a, a district called Sheldon, you probably know Sheldon, it's near the airport, uh, there's a young man called Alex Bennett. Now, Alex, are you in today? Uh, just give us a little wave if you... Oh, there he is, he's over there, brilliant. So he, Alex is in today, that's awesome. Great, Alex. Uh, so Alex is there, okay, and he gets this job with a company called EE. They're like a major mobile phone provider, aren't they? There's a few of you, I'm sure, are on EE. And his job is climbing up phone masts. We're kind of talking 150 feet in the air. 
And I think all of us in the room are kind of glad that you get to do that, Alex, and that we don't have to kind of climb up that high. I'm not great with heights, uh, but it's a job he gets. And uh, shortly after he gets this job, he gets a very strong impression that he needs to come to church. Now, he's not like a churchgoer by nature. He's not been to church much, and he's kind of like, okay, well, what's this? So he gets onto Google, and he does a search for churches in Birmingham. And of course, there's like any number to choose from, and there's a lot that are kind of cited between here and Sheldon, so he didn't have to choose BCC, but he felt, no, I need to come to BCC. And so this is going on kind of like June, July time. Uh, The Sunday that he picks to come to BCC is the 8th of August, which is the day in which I'm talking about Zacchaeus. And so you have to imagine this young man's just got a job doing climbing for a living, and he comes into the church and he hears about a message about a guy who climbs a tree to see Jesus, and he's pretty blown away. And he thinks God's in it. Uh, and let me show you a little testimony. We, we recorded this on Zoom earlier this week, so just have a watch of the screen, see what, see what Alex had to say about it. I turned up to church. It was, I was going through a bit of a bad patch, and I'd just started a job where I was climbing EE towers at 150 feet up in the air. And the first um, story that was told was about Zacchaeus, where he was climbing the tree. You don't know why he was climbing the tree. You just wanted to get close to Jesus. And I was like, well, that is so relevant to me. I can't believe how relevant that is to me. And the message on that day was um, a chance, a choice, a change. And nothing's ever been so relevant to me. And I felt blessed because... I feel without it, the message that was sent, I wouldn't be sat here today, in all honesty. Have you been somebody that was around church a long time before, or was this just like out of the blue, or what, what was no, your... No, it was uh, out of the blue, in all honesty. It was... Um, I, I just sat there and I Googled churches, and there's churches that are a lot closer to me, and for some reason, BCC was the church that I looked at and went, I, I want to go to that church. That's the church that I'm going to on this day. And right. I turned up and I was like, as if that's the message on this day. So I just just so that I'm really clear, you basically got this job climbing uh, EE, you know, phone masks, and then within a week or two, you got a strong impression out of the blue to start coming to church. Yeah. You, you came to church, and the, the, it was the first weekend that you came into church was part of our summer series, and it was the Zacchaeus story. You sat there listening to the message, and then you, you, you told me, like just after your baptism video, you told me about how you kind of made a decision pretty much there and then to start following Jesus. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. I, I remember sitting there, and I was just, I was bawling my eyes up because I, I was going, something, in, what, what brought me to here today? What brought me here today? And... I've done the right thing, and ever since then, I've been coming to church, and it, I just know in my heart it's the right thing that I've done. Now, you, you have to recognise that in the journey for Alex of that happening, God had to do quite a few things. Uh, there was the job that was set up, which had the climbing in it. Then there was the, the, the search on Google. Then there was the decision on which day to come. Then there was the planning that I was doing on that summer series that had happened quite a bit of a time before that. And then there was the kind of the link that God needed to make in the service to kind of touch his heart. There were quite a few variables going on in that. And I would class that as like a kind of a mini miracle where the Spirit has done something to pull a young man into church and connect him with Jesus. 
Uh, and it's such a great pleasure to have you with us, Alex, and great that you got baptized on the 28th of November. And uh, we pray, you know, our blessing on you, really. Just great. Absolutely great. So. God is a miracle-working God, and what God does is he does miracles to build his kingdom and to bring us confidence and encouragement that he is on our case. He does things supernaturally in ways that we have no way of explaining in the human or through probability or by chance. And when we analyze them properly, the only rational explanation we have for them is that God somehow got involved. The nature of a miracle is that it's like a one-off event or an occurrence for which there is no real explanation other than an agency outside time and space has somehow designed it. And it's designed to, uh, to, to, to make something happen and to do something and to bring something about in a very uh, kind of encouraging way or a moving way. And it builds the kingdom of God. That is what a miracle is. And the reason I've started with this story from Alex's journey is because miracles happen quite a lot. And we don't necessarily always see them or hear about them, but I wanted to encourage you that miracles aren't just 2,000 years ago around the birth of Jesus. They are present, real realities where God moves in people's lives to make things happen and to bring about change. Uh, so I just want to really encourage you with that story and, and use it as a kind of a, an entrance way into the idea of all the miracles at Christmas. You know, the miracles at Christmas are pretty considerable. There's a lot going on in the miraculous. Um, I've printed out the uh, chapters 1 and 2 of Matthew and chapters 1 and 2 of Luke, which we would call the birth narratives, which are like the kind of the, the, the story of the, the arrival of Jesus and uh, are often the, the chapters of the Bible that, that you know, churches will look at around Christmas time because they tell everything about Jesus being born, how it all came about, what happened, uh, kind of all the ins and outs of what, what that was all about. And so we get a good sense of the story from those four chapters. So I printed those out, I had them on my desk, and I got a pen out, and I actually just went through really carefully, and I kind of did a little underline on every single section where I thought, that can't be explained in the human, that can't be explained by random chance, that is highly, highly unlikely that that happened. And at the end of that exercise, I had several sheets of A4 paper from those four chapters with lots of scrawls on them. And then I went through and did a count-up job on it. And I've got to tell you, there's over 40. Over 40 miracles are associated with the arrival of Jesus. And, and I think what God is trying to say by sending us Jesus and having this whole flurry of miracles around his arrival is that someone incredibly special is being sent for us. Someone very, very important is arriving at this time, and he comes with all sorts of signs and wonders and strange things to draw our attention to who he is and why he has come. And that's why we have so many miracles at Christmas. If you go back through and think through your mind, you have uh, Mary, don't you, who has a, a child kind of too soon, surely. You know, like she's not even got married yet. And there's a kind of a scandal with that. And it seems to me that God's quite happy. He doesn't mind the possibility of a scandal because he's about to send an angel to explain his way around it. Uh, but surely that's too early in the sequence for a baby to arrive. Uh, you'd have thought. And then you have Elizabeth, who's kind of at the other end of the spectrum, and she has a baby, and surely it's too late. She shouldn't even be able to have a child. She's well past childbearing age. Uh, and we looked a little bit at that in uh, last week's message from, uh, from Pastor Paula. Um, and so we have these two women who kind of represent the opposite ends of the miraculous spectrum, both of them receiving a miracle from God uh, in, in what happens to them. 
Uh, then we have the angels themselves, and there's lots of angelic interaction. Uh, again, we looked at that a little bit more last week, but angels are heavily involved in steering the action of this story. In fact, if the angels hadn't been involved, there would have been various disasters along the way. Do you remember the wise men get told in a dream, don't go back via Herod? I mean, that protects them and it protects Jesus and all sorts of things. Um, uh, so, so we've got some incredible things going on uh, in uh, this story. We've got, uh, let me just t- take you through uh, some of these different things. Uh, we have Mary, we have Elizabeth, we have angels, we have dreams. There are many dreams that occur in the Christmas story where people are sleeping and then they have a dream from God and then God tells them something really important in the dream. If you ever wanted to do an analysis of what happens in dreams in Matthew's gospel, you will be surprised to find that it's not all kind of woolly, weird, wonderful things, although they're wonderful, but they're not irrational. They are conversations from God to people when they're in a state to receive it, that result in highly rational, good decisions. That's kind of an interesting idea, isn't it? We kind of think in our culture that dreams are a bit sort of maybe to be put aside. And, but in, 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 in perhaps in that time, God was using dreams to say some very specific, concrete things to uh, people to achieve definite results. Uh, so dreams are important. We also have, um, we have a strange star in the sky, a celestial body appears. And, and uh, three kings from the east, you know, the we three kings of Orientar, or the, the wise men, perhaps, as, as they may be more known from the scripture, they appear from the east because of a star. I would love to go back in that time and work out what was that, what was that star? You know, was it like a comet or... Was it, was it, I don't know, you know, the mind boggles. It would be awesome to be able to work it out. But apparently this star was able to move and it, able to, it was able to pause in its journey over the place where those wise men needed to, to navigate. Uh, and we saw the star on uh, Ellie's nativity video there, didn't we? Uh, so we have Mary, we have Elizabeth, we have angels, we have dreams, we have a star. Uh, we also have uh, some incredible um, names as well. Don't miss the fact that we have names uh, being assigned from heaven in this story. The names are not like weird and wonderful, but they are given by angels. John's name isn't assigned to him by Zechariah, his dad. It's assigned by an angel. Jesus' name is not given to Jesus by Joseph. It's assigned by an angel. These are names that have come from heaven and are told from heaven. Therefore, they are miraculous. Now, those names were common at the time, but that doesn't change the fact that the decision-making process was highly unusual. And then we have another name, Emmanuel, which is a reference to a prophecy from Isaiah 7.14. And we'll, we'll have a look at that in just a minute. But that's a name from heaven, and it means God with us. And so one of Jesus' other names, if you like, Emmanuel, is God with us. These are miraculous things that God is doing to say some very special things about a very special person. There are also some moments of incredible timing. If you think about the Christmas story, we have moments of timing that are the finest kind of timing you can, have, you can imagine. They are the nature of somebody walking up to somebody else in a temple or in a church. Uh, you know, on the eighth day of Jesus' uh, uh, life, he gets dedicated in the temple. His parents take him there, as is the custom of the law of that day, that they would dedicate and circumcise, uh, you know, the baby boy on the, on the eighth day. And as they're in the temple, two people walk up to Jesus at just the right time. Simeon walks up to him and prophesies over him. 
And Anna, that old prophetess, she kind of, kind of is being prompted by the Spirit to arrive. And it's, it's a, it's a, it's a real-time deal. It happens very finely, within minutes. And you kind of got to ask yourself, how did you do that, Holy Spirit? And the Holy Spirit has been sitting on this guy, Simeon, for all this time to say, you are not going to die until you see the, the promised Messiah. So there's a long time, and then there's a very fine time. And the same with Anna. And so we've, we've got some time miracles going on. And alongside that, we also have some, some time which is not quite so fine. It's not quite so specific. It's like decades. You know, Zechariah and uh, Elizabeth, um, are, are, they make, they're made to wait, aren't they, for their, for their prayers to have children. This was a great point that Paula brought out last week, that actually the waiting and the disappointment of Elizabeth and Zechariah all those decades and well past her childbearing time then turned into the miracle of being able to have John the Baptist and Jesus quite close to each other as cousins and only, only months apart. That's a, that's a miracle right there because there's a timing thing going on there, but that's not so much fine timing, that's decades timing. And then we have more, more miracles still. We have another sign. We have the angels appear to uh, the, the shepherds in the field, fields at night, and uh, they basically say, you need to go and find a baby in a manger. Now, for a shepherd, a manger is not an unusual thing, is it? I mean, that's kind of core to their job, I imagine. Filling a manger with hay is exactly what you do when you look after sheep. This is not a surprise at all for shepherds. But what is a surprise is, by the way, you are going to find a baby in one of these mangers, and that's going to be your sign. Have you ever thought that the setback of Mary and Joseph not getting a room in the inn was designed? That was designed into the system to be the sign for someone else. So sometimes our setback is someone else's sign. That's how God works. Are you receiving that? And so don't be disappointed when you get setbacks because sometimes that's God is allowing that because he's doing something else and we have to be big enough to allow that to occur. There are fulfillments of, of the prophetic all over these four chapters. At the, beginning, the two at the beginning of Luke and the two at the beginning of Matthew. You have a number of fulfilled prophecies. And we're going to unpack just one of those or an area around that in just a minute in a little bit more detail. But the fulfillment of the prophetic is miraculous in its own right. A prophecy is a foretelling by God. It's saying something ahead of it happening, and then it happening, and then the happening itself being the fulfillment of what was said. There's like a, a kind of a closed system there, isn't there? It's not an, not an open-ended thing, and God does this all the time. Uh, and, and as I say, we're going to look at that in just a minute, very specifically. There are some baptisms in the Spirit. For any of you in, in BCC, uh, and perhaps any of you who've been watching online, if you've ever been baptized in the Spirit, that itself is a little bit of a mini-miracle right there. We mustn't dumb that down. That's an incredible thing. That's the presence of God's Spirit filling us up so much that we are kind of quite transported spiritually to another place. And these happen, this happens, I think, three times in the, the, these birth narratives. We have Zechariah. He's filled with the Spirit as, John, as he signs on the tablet uh, to say that his son is going to be called John. And he prophesies. And we have Elizabeth is filled with the Spirit as well when, she, when Mary visits her. And we even have John the Baptist being filled with the Spirit in the womb. I mean, most pastors are really, really chuffed for people just outside the womb to be filled with the Spirit. But, you know, for, for babies to be filled with the Spirit as well is, is kind of going some, isn't it? I mean, I, I don't know how you'd verify that, other than that perhaps mum would say, oh, there's a lot of kicking going on. It's a wonderful thing. And Luke describes it as that he's filled with the Spirit, even in the womb. 
someone gets struck dumb. We looked at this last week. Zechariah spent nine months unable to speak. He's just struck dumb. And then the day that uh, John is you know, born and he assigns, the, I guess on the eighth day of John's arrival, he assigns the name and the tablet is handed over and suddenly he's able to speak again. I feel Zechariah has a bit of a hard deal, doesn't it? I mean, like, imagine being stuck drum, dumb for nine months for kind of not believing that your wife who's in her 80s is going to have a kid. <laughs> it's a little bit harsh, but nevertheless. But that's a miracle in its own right, and the reversal of it is a miracle too. Here's a miracle that you perhaps haven't considered at Christmas time. I would put it to you that the census in the Roman world in that time was a miracle. They could have organized a census at any time. But the reality is that the census happened and Joseph and Mary had to go to Bethlehem and be in a particular place at a particular time because the prophecy said that. We worship a God who is capable of organizing a census in order to fulfill a prophecy. Now, is that too far for us to believe? No, I don't think so. God has his hand on history in ways that we can't even begin to imagine. So we have all these miracles at the time of the arrival of Jesus, and they're, they're basically heralding somebody very, very important is coming. And so kind of hear, hear, church, what I'm trying to say, that God is trying to say that Jesus is super, super important, and he's packing his arrival with a whole load of miracles to really, really underscore that. Um, I'm not going to try and take you through a 40-point sermon, each of these miracles. That would be crazy this morning. But what I'd like to do is to get into one area, which is the fulfillment of prophecy. Uh, I want to talk you through that a little bit. Um, there's a, there's a, a Bible verse you can look up on your, on your devices or in your Bibles, Matthew 1, verses 22 to 23. Um, if you're following us along on the YouVersion app, you can see that that's included there. Matthew 1, verses 22 to 23. It says this, All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. So Matthew is trying to make the point. He's telling his Jewish readers, listen, this is the Messiah. This is the predicted one that we've all been waiting for. Uh, and, and, this is, and this is the evidence for it. Uh, Bible scholars estimate that there are around about 300, at a minimum, 300 prophecies for, for who, for, in which Jesus is the fulfillment of those prophecies. That's a lot. And if you go a little bit wider than just written or spoken text, it gets up to around 500, 550. Now, what do I mean by that? I mean, what I mean by that is that it's, prophecy doesn't, isn't just a spoken thing or a written thing at a point in time, which then comes true later on. There are things and events in history which have aspects to them that are prophetic as well. Let me give you an example. So if you imagine Joseph in the Old Testament, not Joseph the father of Jesus or the stepfather of Jesus in this case, but Joseph from the Old Testament in the book of Genesis. Do you remember that time when he spent some time in a prison? Uh, he wasn't in much favor with people and he spent, I think it was several years, at least a couple of years in prison. And he had some dreams from God, which are miracles themselves. And in, the, in, the, in those dreams, he had a, a, a very negative picture for the baker who was in the prison with him. And he had a very positive picture for the cupbearer who was in the prison with him. So the baker and the cupbearer are alongside Joseph in this prison, and he has this, these dreams about them. Uh, and and the, baker, the baker's dream is, is, is doom and gloom. He's basically going to be killed by Pharaoh because Pharaoh's angry with him. But the cupbearer is going to be restored. 
Now, I would put it to you, that's a, that's a series of events, each of which have their own miraculous content, by the way. But I'd put it to you that those events themselves, not just the writing of them, but the actual events themselves, have a prophetic edge to them. The, 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 the baker and the, and the cupbearer are speaking about the bread and the wine, the body and the blood of Christ. Do you, do you see that? And they talk that basically one dies and one rises. There's a death and a life, which is basically speaking to us about communion. And it's speaking to us about communion from as way back as far as early Genesis. I guess it's around Genesis 38, something like that. Now that, this is why it's hard for scholars to say, okay, there are 302 prophecies. Because scholars start getting in a room and say, well, yeah, you've got the writing, but then what about the events? The events point to Jesus as well. Do we count them as well, or do we just say no because they're events? No, we have to count them. We have to say that they point to Jesus too. And anything that points to Jesus ahead of time, and then which comes true, is a fulfilled prophecy. So are you beginning to get the idea that God has his hand not just on the words he speaks through the Bible and the people he uses to speak them, but he has his hands on the events at the same time? So he can do some events back here in history and then make sure that they come full, uh, come full circle over here in history. He has no problem with that whatsoever. In fact, he specializes in that. That's what God is good at. God is absolutely brilliant at miracles. It's his trademark thing that he does. It's the thing that we get our encouragement from. It's the thing that's the proof that, that he has been there. I want to encourage you this morning that miracles are a huge encouragement to us that God is doing stuff on our behalf. God can prompt a young man in Sheldon to suddenly go, I need to go to church. And he does, and he becomes a Christian. God can do anything he likes, people. Amen? Let's break what this, what this particular prophecy says down. All this took place is saying that God is in the events, not just in the words. Matthew's talking about several things when he says all this took place. He's talking about the, Mary's miraculous conception of, of Jesus in her womb with the Holy Spirit as the father and not Joseph. Um, it's the angel speaking to Joseph in the dream that there will be a son. And don't miss the fact that in our day where we have you know, scans to see the gender of our children ahead of time, don't miss the fact that it's ordained that Jesus is a son. Because in our world, actually, it's kind of a 50-50 gamble, isn't it? We'll get one or the other. He is going to be someone who saves people from their sins. That right there is miraculous. There's nobody else in the history of time that can save you from your sins. Is there? No, there isn't. And so that's a miracle all by itself. And that there's a name to be assigned. And the name Jesus means um, God saves or Yahweh saves. And it's the Greek version of the Hebrew version of that word. So even his name means God saves. Even his name is to do with his job or his, his purpose, which is salvation. So when, uh, when, when it says all this took place, when Matthew writes that, he's got a big scope of what, what's included in all this. And you can imagine Joseph receiving this and, and, and how big that was for him. That's an enormous scope of things to look at. Uh, it's an angel bringing him an assurance in a dream after he finds out that his wife-to-be is, wife is pregnant with the savior of the world, uh, that he is then being asked by that angel to give a name he hasn't chosen to a kid that isn't his. That's a big ask for a bloke. 
I'm sorry, but it is. That's a big ask for anybody. I would find that really hard at Christmas if that happened to me. Chloe, you're going to have a child. Oh, it's not, it's not yours. It's from the Holy Spirit. Oh, no, you're going to call him Bob. You know, and I'm like... <laughs> sorry, that was very random. That's not in my notes, by the way. But you get the strangeness of how weird that would be for Joseph. To fulfill means that God is a planner and a completer. When God speaks in advance, stuff is going to happen later on, uh, and that's, that's fulfillment. That's what fulfillment means. Now, sometimes the working out of that is really hard to figure out how that's actually going to be. And I'm sure loads of us in this room are kind of thinking, how are you going to do that in Revelation, God? Because, boy, is that weird. You know, we would love for you to know the detail, give us the details and the lowdown on that, but I'm pretty sure that when Revelation has come and gone, we will look back and we'll go, ah, right, I get exactly what you were trying to say there. At least I hope so. Maybe it will still be mysterious. Who knows? <laughs> and I just don't, I also want you to, to be aware that it goes on to say what the Lord has said through the prophet. These are hard things for us to get fresh content around because we've heard Christmas messages so many times, some of us, haven't we? But don't miss the fact that God is speaking through people. He is able to speak through prophets. Prophets have a role to speak out words uh, from God. And if people have a prophetic gift and they've used it with you, you can tell if that's from God over time. And in this case, God used Isaiah to say something about Jesus around 750 years before Jesus comes along. That's really staggering if you think about it. And actually, archaeology supports that. The Dead Sea Scrolls that got discovered, there's an Isaiah scroll in amongst the Dead Sea Scrolls that's kind of written, it's kind of etched on metal. I think it's on a big metal cylinder. Um, it's really incredible. And it dates to 150 BC. And it's like 99.9% .9 consistent with our copies of Isaiah today. And so the transmission of it is just awesome. It's so, so accurate. And the little differences are things like accents and commas and bits and stuff like that. It's really nothing major. And so we have something dating before Jesus that confirms what Isaiah wrote 750 years before Jesus comes and is born. And then Jesus comes along and we have a confirmation of that in these birth narratives where Matthew says he will be called Emmanuel. Did you know that that comes from Isaiah 714? That's straight out of something written a really, really long time before Jesus comes along. And so the prophetic is being fulfilled in miraculous ways over and over again in the birth of Jesus. I want to share something with you which I think is the overall purpose of all these miracles at Christmas. The overall purpose of all the miracles at Christmas is to say, this is a very, very special person who is here. There is no one like him. The way in which I'm bringing him into the world is unique. It's never to be repeated again. It's absolutely contra uh, uh, characterized by really, really unbelievably cool stuff that happens uh, that you would never, ever be able to predict or make up. And it's to say that this person is God, that this person is the Son of God. That's, what, that's what's going on. But there's a purpose and a miracle beyond that still. Even if we looked at those 40 miracles and said, yes, this is the Son of God, and that's amazing, and, and wow, and, and that's great, but there's a further miracle uh, that I want to try and unpack a little bit. I'm just going to ask the worship team just to come up and, and join me. You guys can start playing. That's fine. Um, I want to illustrate something of the heart of God in sending Jesus with a, with a story. Um, 
And this is a story, when you hear it, I think most of, most of us in the room, we're going to feel a bit of a wrench in this story in our spirit. We're going to go, ooh, that's disappointing. At least I, when I heard this story, I was like, ah, oh, that's such a shame. You know, there's a wrench there, okay? So back in 2009, there was a guy called James Howells. Now, you may not have heard his name before, and you, you, there's no reason to particularly. He's not particularly famous. But in 2009, he mined, which is what you do, um, on his home computer and downloaded from this mining activity 7,500 bitcoins. And he put them in a bitcoin wallet on his hard drive on his computer. Now, this was back when they were just a few pence each. Right? They didn't, they're not, you know, he didn't think anything of it. It was like a gimmick. Like you do these things as a kind of computer gamer. Sometimes you, you do stuff and you think, oh, what's that about? So he put it on this hard disk. And then a couple of years later, he updated his PC and he took the hard disk out and put it in a drawer. And he, he got like a new PC and he didn't kind of think too much of it. And then a few more years after that, he was having a clear out and he got rid of this hard disk on it, uh, sorry, hard disk from the drawer and took it down to a landfill site somewhere in Wales, I think it was, and he threw it away with a load of other stuff. And then 2014, 2015, 2016 roll on, and he suddenly starts to realize that I'm sure I bought some bitcoins way back when, and I'm sure there was a lot of them. And he starts looking at how much they're worth online, and he's going, oh man, I'd really like to see if I could find those. And then suddenly he realizes that they might be on the disk that he's chucked away at the, uh, at the landfill site. So he takes a journey, and he goes to the landfill site, and he says to the site foreman, uh, okay, bit of a long shot here, but I threw a disc away in 2009, like five years ago. I don't suppose there's any chance I might be able to find this. So the, this, the, the site foreman takes him through the gate, and he shows him the area the size of a football stadium. And he says, in this area, there's rubbish and stuff buried five feet deep, and your disc could be anywhere within that. And by the way, you could go digging for it if you want to, but when you find it, it's very likely to be damaged because we put a lot of our stuff through the crusher to make it smaller so it doesn't take up so much space. That's a painful story, isn't it? Do you want to know how much they're worth today? 7,500 bitcoins? Let me look it up. I looked it up the other night. 267 million quid. Now, that little wrench and that little sigh I heard you give, because you did, and I, I, I did as well when I read the story. I'm not trying to pretend that I'm holier than you, because I'm not. I read it and I went, oh. <laughs> and the moral of the tale is do backups, for goodness sake. <laughs> but that little, that little wrench and that sigh you felt when you heard that story, that pales into insignificance with how God feels about lost people. There's a wrench that goes way off the scale for God with lost people. Okay? It's in a different league altogether. And absolutely Jesus would come to the landfill of earth, of planet earth for us, and he does. And he would do anything to find us, buried six feet down or not. And he would pick us out and dust us off and see if we're still working and see if we're, see if we're still viable. But there's a massive difference between a Bitcoin and a person. A person is a living, breathing agent of free choice, of free will, who can make up their minds about what they think about Jesus and about God. So there's no guarantees here. When Jesus comes, there are no guarantees. 
And I can imagine him praying in the Garden of Gethsemane before he goes to the cross. So Father God, like even if I have an encounter with some of these people that I've come for, that I've arrived for at Christmas, that my whole ministry is about, are you telling me that they may not choose me and that, that, that we may not be able to get them into heaven after all? And God says, well, yeah, because they're free agents. They have freedom. They're individuals. They're their own people. They have to choose us. They have to choose us with their hearts. They have to choose to love us. This isn't something where you can force them to do this. My kingdom is not a coercion kingdom. My kingdom is a kingdom of freedom. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And so Jesus must have said back to the Father God, so what is it that we do together that doesn't, uh, doesn't violate their free will, that persuades them as strongly as possible that we would like them to be in heaven with us? What is it that we can do? And God says, do what I've asked you to do tomorrow out of your free will. That is the way you persuade them. That is the way you persuade them. You go to the cross as I've asked you to do. And then when people see you on the cross, going through the worst of the worst, which is the purpose of Jesus at Christmas time, actually, that's what he's come for. That's the biggest, that's the big miracle that I'm talking about here then maybe people will choose us. Maybe people will choose you, Jesus. And then out of that, we will enjoy their presence with us, God the Father, the Holy Spirit, the Lord Jesus, in heaven for eternity. But there's no guarantee of that because we're talking free will here. And that's the point at which I think Jesus sighed in his spirit and said, well, I just need to do that then. And I need to go to the cross. For all the people who've just, and for all the people who've decided to follow him, that is the choice that they have made of their free will because of Jesus' choice made of his, his free will. That's the real miracle of Christmas. That there's a possibility for you and I, sitting where we are today in our seats here in Birmingham, December 2021, that Jesus has come to the landfill tip on site of earth. He's dug us out and he's chosen us to be with him. And our response is, yes, Jesus, I want to be with you. That's the message of Christmas. And here's yet another miracle on top of that. We think all the miracles are for us. Imagine the miracle for God when he realizes that we've chosen him. That's why there's a party in heaven. The wrench of somebody being lost is completely eclipsed by the joy of them turning to Jesus when they realize the gift that they've been given, which started at Christmas. Let's all stand, BCC. Let's bring some praise to Jesus. He is the way maker. Amen.